All right. NBA trade deadline edition of the fan drive time. We're into uh, hour two of three today. As the Toronto Raptors add, do not sell. They now have Jakob Pertl. After five years of develop, of uh, development with the San Antonio Spurs back in a Raptors uniform, Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., who can be free agents in the offseason, remain with the Toronto Raptors. We just uh, brought you President Masai Ujiri's 30-plus minute media availability. Michael Grange was down at the OVO Athletic Center uh, watching that, participating, asking questions, and he joins us now. How's it going, Grange? It's good. It's good, Ben. How are you? I'm all right. So um, what do you make of of the 30 minutes of Masai Ujiri explaining why his team, which is the final playing team in the Eastern Conference at the the current moment, decided not to sell off pieces? I mean, his takeaway was, and it's a little bit on brand or maybe you could have predicted, but is this is all about patience. And, um, And even though we've seen this particular group for, a full season and then now about 55 games of another season. Um, you know, the conclusion based on all the assessing they did was they were better to provide a, try and fill a pretty gapping hole or what emerged as a pretty gapping uh, need and give this group, a, you know, an experienced, legitimate, defensive minded big who could, you know, stay on the floor offensively at times at least and uh, see where that got them. And then and kind of from there you could make yet another, you have yet another opportunity to assess, um, you know, and they were able to get Jakob Pertl, as everyone knows by now, at a pretty reasonable price if the measure is, you know, what it costs you from your roster, which is Ken Birch, who wasn't really a factor on your roster. Um, and some, you know, a first-round pick that, you know, you can quibble about the protections, but if things go according to the plan of the Raptors, it really won't be a factor in what's projected to be a pretty soft draft in 2024. <clears throat> That's the logic. Um, I'm not saying it. I would necessarily sign off on it myself, but, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Jerry's won one more ring than I have. Well, I don't know about that, Grange. We, we were both there. We were writing and toasting at the same time. That was deserving of a ring. Yeah, no, he didn't get one. We absolutely. I got the fake. Not, I got the little knockoff one to go with my nine hundred five knockoff one. Um, Grange, you mentioned something there, and it's not the point of the day, but I do want to circle back on uh, the the part you mentioned about Ken Birch being outbound, and you don't really take anything off of that uh, off of the current roster as you you look to get better the rest of the way here. Um, Kem to me is like, I think he kind of stands out as an example of some of the smaller missteps this front office has made that, that have piled up a little bit, like three years of fully guaranteed almost $7 million a year for Ken Birch a couple summers ago when they seem to be bidding against themselves. Um, I don't know. I'd imagine a, a big part of the price on the Pirtle deal is to get out from under that money. Um, do we have to like, do we have to relook at that? Was, was he supposed to be part of the big man solution? Um, because Masai did kind of say, well, it's on me for having not brought in bigs, but but it, he has tried. It just hasn't worked out with Aaron Baines and Alex Len and, you know, Ken Birch, who's a smaller big, but a thicker big at least. Um, what do you make of just, I guess, this team's kind of carousel to try to find a, a stopgap there? And if this is the end of it? Um, I think that's a, a pretty good word for it. And if, you know, and we are kind of looking at big picture. Um, 
you know, this whole experiment, if you want to call it, where, um, you know, they ended up trying to be a team that played without a traditional big or, or at least a, a big version of the kind of player they need um, was kind of an accident, right? Like they probably for good reason, they didn't bring back Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka after the 2020 season. Uh, but at that point, you know, there was no one saying, hey, let's play without centers. Uh, it was let's go get Aaron Baines and Alex Lynn. And then when Eric's, you know, Aaron Baines and Alex Lynn proved to be not very good and they were better off playing without centers, then they kind of stumbled into this, well, maybe we don't need centers idea. Um, even Kim Birch, when they, you know, they got him, you're right. I mean, I think that was an overpay. And, and we have seen those in the past get made here. And sometimes the justification is, you know, we've got to have a roster spot. We can't all be on, you know, minimum contracts to fill those roster spots because if we ever want to make a trade, we have to be able to, you know, aggregate some salaries. And there's some legitimacy to that. And 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 not to go all down on Cam, I mean, he had some flashes where he looked like he could be a contributor in a limited role, and but he just kept getting hurt. Um, but I think what has emerged um, this year and and especially – is playing basketball without at least the option of having a legitimate paint-protecting, rim-protecting big who can, you know, is versatile to play in a few different coverages, which I think Jakob qualifies and is, uh, you know, deft enough offensively to, you know, stay on the floor in different iterations. It's important, you know, and, and it doesn't mean you have to have it. The game is trending smaller. But when you just don't even have that option, and the options you have are Kim Birch, who's you know not quite there there these days, and and Christian Coloco, who's you know might be there one day, um, I think the conclusion was made. Look, this is an opportunity to, to get a player. But uh, you, you're right. I mean, it's been a bit of a search to get to a fairly obvious answer. I think most of us would agree. Yeah, uh, and and they bring back Jakob Pertl, who was uh, having a nice season, and fits this team nicely, I suppose, uh, but is a pending free agent, as are likely Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. who have player options. From what you heard from Masayu Jiri today, are you of the belief that they will attempt to sign all three of those guys? It certainly sounded that way, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll defer to to uh, Blake a little bit on this, and, and you know, he's helped me out with some figures on, on this stuff, but um, you know, I don't see a scenario where you decide not to trade either Terry Trent or, or Fred Van Vliet and then go out and add for, uh, you know, using future assets to acquire another pending free agent, Jakob Pertle. If you're not prepared and don't have a really good solid idea that you can resign those players, you're really playing with fire. And, um, you know, I think they probably have to move off another contract at least to get to a situation where they can kind of reasonably expect to sign all three. Um, but if any one of those three ends up leaving in free agency for minimal compensation in a tri- some kind of sign and trade or no compensation, to me that's a real that's a that's a big mistake. Um, it can be spun different ways, I suppose. But um, you know the point is is you've got right you know before the trade deadline you had two good players with uncertain contract situations, and now you've got three good players with uncertain contract situations and, um, you know, finding probably about $70 million to be able to sign all three uh, and stay under the luxury tax 
all of which is just to secure a team that's probably, if all goes well, going to finish 500 or a couple games over. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's not really conventional, <laughs> you know, but, uh, and that's where I think this, this whole exercise is, it's a little more risky than, than the Sajiri's kind of, uh, letting it be making it sound i think i I agree with you it is a little more risky because not only you know if if this say this doesn't play out very well and the team's not super good or say it does and it hurts their their pick in the draft and suddenly next year's thing does uh, next year's roster uh, doesn't look as interesting well that's a leverage point when you go into negotiations with fred van vliet gary trent jr Jakob Pertle. that's a, a leverage point if you're trying to get something back in sign and trade for any of these guys um Mike, were you a little surprised to hear Masai kind of stick to the line of we could get the same or get something similar back in the offseason that we could have gotten today? Like that to me really applies for OG Ananobi and obviously with Pascal Siakam, if they were even having conversations about that beyond surface level. Um, But with Gary and Fred, like I kind of don't think that's the case, right? Well, Gary, Fred, or Jakob. Yeah, that one, you know, the the follow-up question there would have been how, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? And and it is fair to say, as it relates to, let's just say, OG Ananobi, um, you know, there's a player you're going to be looking at a significant return on. You want good players plus draft equity. And, you know, that side jury put it really well. You know, in the summer, you've got 29 losers, right? You have 29 teams trying to, to get better. And, you know, when you're, you know, there's more pick equity that should be in the pool. And in theory, you know, that logic holds. But how, um, you know, if Fred Van Vliet and and if you've got three players going to free agency and, uh, you know, I'm not sure how you recoup value for them if you can't re-sign them. I mean, we have seen a signing trade here. Kyle Lowry are all very familiar with it. It worked pretty well. But let's be clear. I mean, that was a situation where, the Miami Heat very much wanted Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry very much wanted to go to the Miami Heat. And, you know, you're dealing with kind of a franchise icon and, a, and you know, all the things kind of lined up. And you ended up getting, you know, a very unproven at the time, uh, Presta Situa and, uh, you know, kind of over the hill, Goran Dragic. So, um, and that's for Kyle Lowry, who at the time was a $30 million player. So, um yeah, I, I some of what he said made I would yeah I could see what he was getting at, but it, huh. there the others not so much. Do you, do you think it's possible that Masai was emboldened by the fact that things did work out in in the Lowry sign and trade? I know I'm asking you to jump into his head, but it's like you can't help but think like, hey, I did the thing people said I couldn't do. I held on to this guy through the deadline, and and even in the moment it didn't look good, but look at it now. I mean, maybe, and you know, a lot of times you will learn after the fact that uh, they're, they're, they're working some discussions and some trade constructions and, you know, they just couldn't come to an agreement under the, under the pressure. Um, and then, you know, when there's a little more time and, and less pressure, you know, you revisit that same conversation. And, and so maybe those things do exist. Um, but like, I think in, you know, signing trades as a rule are pretty rare, like mm-hmm. the, and to pull off three of them, and they won't have to pull out three. But to, to rely on that as a strategy is, you know, I don't think it's, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to win them all, put it that way. No, you're not. Uh, the other thing that, well, there are a lot of things that stood out, but um, as, as far as the play on the court that we've seen from this Raptors team this season and the, the minutes usage that we've seen and the lack of 
minutes that we've seen the young players get. Not that they are all that deserving, but I guess it's it's hard to know if they don't play. Um, Masai Ujiri spoke uh, explicitly about that, talked about how he's had conversations with Nick Nurse about about seeing more of, I, I guess it's, we're, we're talking about Malachi Flynn, uh, that ilk of player. Do you expect a, a change in, in the way minutes are distributed before the end of the season, although this is now a team that wants to win? <laughs> it, that's another kind of interesting one. I mean, and that's not a short-term issue. That's been going on now for, you know, it's not just this year that guys have kind of missed development windows. It's going back last year, too. And um, the irony being that when Jakob Pertl was here and Nick Nurse was an assistant coach, and we go back to the 2018 season when you had the bench mob, and, uh, you know, Blake knows this all very well. The, uh, it was Nick Nurse who was kind of crafted that group. He kind of uh, was given reign to, to sort of build their own style of play, and they got uh, really consistent minutes. And, of course, you know, it was a good group. You had Jakob had Pearl, Fred Van Vliet, Norm, uh, well, Norm Powell wasn't in it, Galan Wright, um, and Pascal Siakam. Like, those are pretty good players to, be, to have on your bench, and they were the best bench in the league. Um, and then, so fast forward, Nick Nurse as a head coach hasn't really created that same circumstance uh, for any kind of group on his bench. It's been very sporadic, very erratic, and is it chicken or egg? Is it because those players haven't performed in, you know, kind of fragments of windows that, that they've had available to them? or And so you can't really trust them, or is it because – you know, Nick Nurse is now as a head coach, everything's on him. Uh, it's like, you know, I'm going to go with uh, my five or six horses and we'll play in 39 minutes and make sure we get wins. And that certainly worked last year. Uh, less is, It's been less successful this year. I think it sounds like management is, would like to have a little bit more dedicated minutes available to some, some of those younger players. Um, but now you've added to your rotation length in, uh, by adding Jakob Pertl, and that's going to push down Preston Situa. And, uh, you know, and as you point out, like this season is now about winning. <laughs> it's about mm-hmm. trying to get a, play, a playoff spot. It's not a high playing spot. And so, uh, you know, I run, you know, you can say that all you want, but it's, you know, there's not, a, you know, there's, it's, I don't think they're in a development situation in these next 30 odd games. Yeah, there's a bit of incongruency there between, hey, we got to play the younger guys more. Um, we're building, you know, for, if not this year, the future, then, turning around and adding a win now piece and uh you know I, I guess part of it is maybe like like Masai got asked specifically if the top of the Eastern Conference landscape changed their thinking at all and he didn't really answer it directly I wonder if maybe just like the mediocrity of the middle and bottom of the Eastern Conference did because they weren't like it's not like they've been going gangbusters or playing all that well, and they keep gaining ground in the play-in. Um, Masai was asked specifically about the play-in for what quote that became so famous in in the Tampa Tank season, Michael, and he kind of sidestepped how he feels about the play-in this year. I got the impression from that that he doesn't like the play-in as a, a wrinkle in the league in general, but that this situation is very different from the Tampa situation in terms of the appetite to maybe bow out from that. Uh, have you got that sense as the season's gone along that, that maybe organizationally they prefer to make this push than where we thought maybe a month ago, they might be okay to kind of sit back and, and count the, the lottery balls. Um, I would say that's been a bit of a change. I mean, I think, uh, you know, 
my impression going back, you know, a month, six weeks, eight weeks was, you know, the, the outlook there hadn't hadn't really changed. I mean, you know, you know Messiah Jury was over in Paris going to see Victor Wimbanyama and not for the first time. Um, there's, you know, this is a very special draft. The team is and was struggling. The, you know, the notion that you would sort of do whatever it took to kind of grab a play-in spot, you know, wasn't really on the table. I think um, for whatever reason, um, you know, the decisions are made that, that this is a good opportunity. And it's, I would I would agree with that assessment. Like this is a fairly, um, you know, good cost benefit, you know, in terms of going and getting a quality pretty young starter in, in Hurdle is just 27. Um, but the, the, the downside of it, and it sounds kind of silly to say it, is it's most likely going to cost you an opportunity to be, a, a, you know, a, a, a fifth or sixth seed going into the uh, going into the draft lottery. And, you know, and then you might not be in the draft lottery at all and end up being a team that gets kicked out in the first round and you're drafting 16th. And, um, you know, how far did your program really advance? And uh, that's that's sort of my whole overall question mark here is, um, you know, I'm I you know I, I accept the people you know the people who run this organization they run it really well they're really smart they put their time in so I'm not like uh, you know pretending that I know better but I'm not emerging from this little window of time um, you know really understanding what the vision is other than ultimately it's the win, but at the path to the, to it, I'm not really all that clearer on what it is than uh, I was yesterday or a month ago. And I think, um, you know, had they said, you know what, we're really going to pivot towards the younger half of our core. So, you know, OG 25, uh, Gary 24, precious 23, uh, Scotty 21. We're going to, these, that's who we're prioritizing, and as a result, we've moved on from Fred. We, or we're, you know, gonna, we expect to move on from Pascal. We would all understand that. If they said, you know what, we think we've just been a victim of bad, victim of bad basketball luck and a little roster unevenness, uh, we're gonna. That's why we, you know, threw five second round picks in addition to Pirtle to go and get, you know. Bodan Banyanovic from the Atlanta Hawks to, you know, give us more shooting and better ball creation. Um, we're going to go. We think this team's better than, than we've shown. We might not agree, but we could, we'd understand. And I just feel like they're kind of in the middle of either of those. Uh, and there's probably other options, but those are kind of two of the most obvious ones. And not really, you know, I'm not all that much clearer on, on you know, what it's going to look like come summertime or come next season. Michael, before we let you go here, uh, the saddest part of today, of course, uh, I don't know if you saw my tweet right before you came on, but as part of the minutia cap accounting to make this trade possible under the cap rules, the Raptors had to renounce the rights to a lot of guys who were never coming back to this team. That includes... Nando DiColo, whose rights they've no. held for a decade in restricted free agency. Wow. Uh, Grange, wow. can we just pour one out for the 35-year-old Frenchman, wow. one of the greatest wow. guards in the history of European wow. basketball, no longer tied to the Raptors. I'm so sad. I hope you're taking that personally. That feels like that feels like they they were just it was aimed at you. <laughs> I think it wasn't aimed at me because I couldn't care and didn't understand. <laughs> no, I, I think it is aimed at me. And also, <laughs> I, I'm going to claim this also. 
they first acquired Nando DiColo's rights back in 2013 in a trade with the San Antonio Spurs. They have traded a lot with the San Antonio Spurs over the last couple of years. The Kawhi trade, of course, the Thad trade, the Pirtle trade now. This closes the loop. It's a mm. decade of Raptors Spurs. If Nando DeCola's restricted free agent rights aren't on the books anymore, I think any remaining toll or, or karma owed to the Spurs from Kawhi is done. Uh, Grange, can we just pour one out for Nando? <laughs> the irony being is I think Nando, like, he's really good. Like, he is. Of all these years they had his rights, he probably could have helped them. I was not exaggerating about him being one of the greatest guards in European basketball history. Mm. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, we'll raise one to Nando to call him. Yeah. yeah I, there we go. I Maybe think... we'll see him at the World Cup, Grange. <laughs> we just might. We just might. So, yeah. Anyway. I know you're going on TV in mere moments. You should bring it up, okay? Uh, yeah, no, I'm going to start with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you, Grange. Thanks. Yeah. All right, take care, guys. All right, you too. Michael Grange, uh, the great Michael Grange, yes, Nando DiColo, no longer, uh, in name only, uh, member of the Toronto Raptors, or at least uh, his rights, no longer owned by the Toronto Raptors. So, that yeah, that's some... We ended it on an element of this that we haven't discussed, that they've they've decided they're going to try and win this year, that they're more interested in getting into a play-in position or beyond a play-in position this year than they are tearing off pieces and, and slotting themselves in a better draft position, except that they only added minimally. Like, there were opportunities to add even more. Like, if you really did believe that, if you could have gone in further... As Grange said, second-round picks were flying off the shelves at the, the trade deadline. 49 second-round picks got <laughs> traded okay. going back to the Rui Hachimura deal. Like, we'll use that as the official start of trade season. There were trades before that, but I, I only went back that far. 49 second-round picks, potentially 53, <laughs> because the Knicks gave up a first-round pick that conveys into four seconds oh my. Uh, if it doesn't convey. So what was your favorite of the 49 second-round picks that were traded? I, it was the two five second-round picks uh, deals that were consummated today no that's it they, they could have added even more they could have and this is where you know you use the term half measure that, or something like it. that it is you know you've got again i used the clunky metaphor earlier of you you're at a kind of fork in the road and instead of picking a, a side you just kind of trudge through the middle and <laughs> uh, where there's Hit not the a fork where there's not a path yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're you you have not you're not on one of the tongs. Uh, I don't know uh, that metaphor doesn't hold up, but I do think that this is a bit of a a bit of a half measure and a bit of a almost like investing in punting the decision down the line a little bit Dude. because you do have a little bit more to justify sticking with it now. Like if like there there is a better chance, I guess, that this team performs well enough down the stretch to then roll it over again. And it's almost like you've paid for the rights to continue rolling it over. You, Yeah, you absolutely did that. But I think what Masai Ujiri said is correct. The only way to get this team to a championship level is internally. And whether that's the pieces internally turning into trade chips that you ship off for a superstar-type player or the Scotty Barnes uh, of the world take steps that are so incremental that they that this core becomes a championship-level team that, that that is correct. I just we've seen a, a lot of it, uh, not the entire season this year. I just wonder. So they're 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 in the last playing spot right now. They're thirteen and a half games back of the Boston Celtics. They are four and a half games back of the Miami Heat. They are what? They're six and a half. No, they're seven games back of the Brooklyn Nets for the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, which is like outside chance, like the highest outcome 
I think, for this Raptors team this season. It would be an incredible accomplishment. If that happens, Blake, do you feel differently about all the conversations we've had today? That Really, there, there was in, uh, internal growth within this team that you could see it eventually, if not by Scotty Barnes turning into that superstar player, eventually this team being good enough that they're a player away from being a championship contender. Maybe. I just don't think that it had to happen this way. Like, I don't think it was a secret that this team needed more shooting and needed uh, someone who could, at least at a matchup level, play some center in a more traditional sense. Like, that's been the case. That was the case in the offseason. It was the case last deadline. It was the case heading into this season and through the start of the season. So, um, to be in a spot where you're paying multiple picks and, like, it's not like you have. I think I'd feel differently if Jacoperto had some term on his contract, mm-hmm. but the fact that you've now stacked up three UFAs, um, unrestricted free agents, all at the same time, I guess that's an eject button, but you paid a, a couple of picks to do that, and then you'll be like, what? Well, we paid a couple of picks to get off $7 million of, of Ken Birch. Like, that's not, that's not doing it. So I, I would feel... No, but even like, if it I goes, like, I would feel slightly better because at least then there's the proof of concept that yes, this team can be better again. They are closer to last year than to this year and a center helped, but it doesn't make me feel better about the fact that the big moves the last two years or so have been hurry up and wait for Scotty Barnes to develop into, you know, an all-star talent. And then we can reevaluate the ceiling. It, it just... I don't know. It's a half measure. Yeah. Well, and if it does, if you, as you mentioned, have to hit the eject button of not trying to re-sign your free agents and either letting them walk or figuring out sign and trades for like all of them. Like, like, what if you're somehow worse? I find it hard to believe, but like, you know, injuries happen. What if, what if one of your significant players suffers significant injuries the second half of the season and you, you can't possibly ask for more time to look at this thing by just signing guys and then doing half measures again next season because there's so much investment that needs to take place before this team takes to the court for opening day next year. You don't have your first round pick next year. Like you have no choice. And I understand like if you're, if you horribly, horribly bad, if you, you finish, you're very confident that your, your pick can't fall outside the top six. Then sure. You get your pick. You know how that happens. You have to finish in the bottom two in the standings to be sure that, Lottery odds won't bump you past six. Dude, that's Because tough. four teams get picked in the lottery. Yeah. That's tough to do. Spurs are doing it, though. Sure. <laughs> we'll talk to uh, former Raptors forward, two-time NBA champion, current Spurs analyst, Matt Bonner, An- next. Another guy who was involved in a Raptors-Spurs trade. No doubt. Uh, we'll talk to Matt Bonner, the great Matt Bonner, next. The fan drive time continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, and as we all expected, the Raptors' buyers at the NBA trade deadline acquiring former Raptor Jakob Pertl mere hours after beating his San Antonio Spurs team. And in fact, we learned from Masai Ujiri's media availability today that Pertl hung around and was eating breakfast in the uh, Raptors' facility uh, this morning. Uh, very happy to be joined now by two-time NBA champion, former 
Raptors forward, current Spurs analyst. It is Matt Bonner taking the time for us today. How's it going, Matt? It's going great. Thank you for having me. And I love that you brought up that glitch in the matrix where somehow this deal went down hours after the Raptors and Spurs just finished playing. So think of how like random and weird that is. It reminds me back, back when I was playing on the Raps, and I think it was in 2004, late 2004, we traded Vince Carter, which I'm sure any Raptors fan remembers. And then we played the Nets the very next game. So it was like, I mean, those guys in the trade didn't play, but it was another one of those weird things where it was like, wait, we just traded Vince to the, and we got these guys back. They were already coming here. So, you know, what do you just, you just switch, switch locker rooms and there you go. So what is a day like yesterday and today like um, from the player side in that locker room? I know you were never traded at the deadline, but you were traded in the offseason. You were around some teams that, that made pretty significant in-season trades. Uh, what is a day like today like for those players? You just kind of sitting there looking at your phone or, and being on Twitter like everyone else? I was insulated from all that because I played on the San Antonio Spurs for uh, 10 years. <laughs> And Spurs not not known for making a lot of moves typically. Um, at least you know definitely when I was there, and we were a title contender every year with with Tim Tony and Manu and those guys. And then on top of that, Coach Pop was all about like the media doesn't matter, what your cousin's reading on a message board on Yahoo or whatever it is. You know that's whatever it was in the mid 2000s it's different than now way less chatter just ignore it all the only thing that matters is you know on the court and in the locker and these guys in the locker room and that's it like don't even pay attention to any of the other stuff and I took it to heart and I never did I never joined social media until I was finished playing and so I just you know once in a while a friend or or my dad or someone would be like hey you think you're going to get traded to wherever, you know, fill in the blank. And I'd just be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, it made it for a lot less stress come trade deadline time. I remember like one year, I forget what year it was. I think it might've been the year after we won it in 07. And there was a ton of trade chatter, apparently, again, completely unaware, but apparently there was like a lot of trade chatter. And I don't know if coach pop thought it was, messing with our, our team chemistry or psyche. But I remember on on the day of the trade deadline, he walked onto the team bus. We were going to, like, walk through, or maybe we were coming back from walk through, and he gets on the team bus, and the whole team's in the back of the bus. And he's like, just so you all know, we're not trading anybody. This is the team we're rolling with, and we're either going to do it or we're not. And he went and sat down, and that was it. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I mean, not not a ton of trade drama. It, it is interesting how often it seems the Raptors and Spurs trade with each other. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, Canada and the U.S., number one trade partner. It's like <laughs> Raptors and Spurs, it feels like. Yeah, no, absolutely. We were just talking about that. And, yeah, um, this, this year's Spurs team, different uh, stage in the development uh, than the Spurs teams you were a part of, Matt. And, obviously, Jakob Pertl, a pending free agent, this was – was something that I think we all thought might happen. Maybe not directly to the Raptors, but we know the Celtics were involved and dropped out of the bidding late. Um, 
What, what can you tell us about uh, about Jakob Pertl since he was traded to uh, the Spurs and, and the development over the last half decade? Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously he's gotten a lot better. Uh, you know, to me, this is like a win-win-win trade because, to your point, the Spurs being in their, their position and situation were able to get – some assets, some draft picks, some stuff that they need to build towards the future, what they're trying to do, accomplish. Obviously, Jakob fills a, a, a need with the Raptors at the center position. And I think Raptors fans are going to be pleasantly surprised when they see the player they're getting versus what they remember back when, when he was in his younger days playing in Toronto. He's someone who's really figured out who he is as a player and how he can be successful on the court without ever having to run a play for him. Um, He just kind of, he's one of those guys I think that can exist in a five on five NBA setting on any team in any situation. He play always plays within himself. He always, you know, he, he always finds the open pocket in the pick and roll. And then he's just mastered, once he catches it on that short roll in the pocket, he's got that, we call it the Papa shot. He's got mm. this like little half hook shot put floater thing that he rarely misses. Um, so, you know, if no one rotates in, across to him and takes that away, he'll just shoot that little Papa shot from, you know, seven to 12 feet and it's cash money. Um, if you come out on him, he has phenomenal footwork to be able to, you know, come to a jump stop, gather himself, um, and then use his length, uh, which I think is highly underrated. Is, you know, when he pivots, he covers so much space. He never does anything fancy. He'll he'll never come up beyond a highlight film, but but what he does is like so simple and efficient with his footwork when he catches the ball in the paint or he catches it on the block um, and he'll pivot around you and can score. If he has a size advantage or if you do a really good job, his passing's got is really good. Um, there's a lot of games with the Spurs where, where he'll lead the team in assists. He'll have five, six, seven assists in a game by making those reads when he pops either into the, the pocket and if teams rotate, he'll find the open man or, a lot of times with the Spurs, you can throw the ball to him off the block or on the elbow and then run weak side action, you know, screen away, back screen, guys cut, slash into the hoop. And he's great at, at you know, selflessly finding his teammates for open shots out of that as well. At the other end of the floor, Matt, um, one of the more fascinating things as someone who comes at these things a, a little statistically and then from there dives into the film, um, one of the things we've seen this year is that some of Jakob's rim protection numbers have gone the wrong way. Uh, not to a, a bad spot necessarily, but the last couple of years, he was one of the best rim protectors and rim deterrence in the league. And I think we know why some of the same footwork and, and timing and play reading stuff you just talked about with his offense reveals itself on defense. Now, um, when you see or, or hear that those numbers don't look as favorably on Pirtle this year as they have the last couple years. Um, how much of that do you attribute to just the overall Spurs situation where uh, a DeJounte Murray, a Derek White aren't there as perimeter defenders in front of them? Um, and how much of it is 
Jakob Pertl needs to, you know, rediscover a, a level he was at last year that he maybe hasn't always been at this year? Yeah, to me, he's he's moving just as well as he always has. I don't think team defense and how you re- make reads defensively within a team defensive system get worse as you get older unless you lose athleticism, which I don't think he has. If anything, they, they get better. You become smarter. Uh, you, you become more proactive instead of reactive in rotations, uh, whether, you know, especially if you're coming weak side to challenge someone at the rim. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much you've seen the Spurs play this year. I thought last game against the Raptors was one of our better defensive games, but that was an outlier. We are not the greatest defensive team this year. Uh, let's just put it put it that way to keep it keep it kind. So uh, to your point, you know, having a lack of of not just perimeter guys that can hold up a little more at the three point line to get maybe give a guy like Jakob a little an extra half a second to get get to whoever's driving to the hoop to to block the shot or contest the shot. But our rotations and communication is are are really not good. We got such a young team and kind of going back to what I was saying, like really understanding team defense and rotations and, and how important communication and all those little and physicality and make the defense feel you and just don't let them catch it where they want. And like every little advantage you can get in every possession to have, to even have a chance to stop the other team from scoring. Cause the league's so talented. It takes time. It takes experience and the Spurs don't really have that. And it shows if you watch them play just with the amount of those types of mistakes you see out there which I think makes it hard for a guy like Jakob, who is the anchor of our defense. He's the last line of defense. He's our Tim Duncan. He's the guy that when we break down, which we do often and we do very badly, we have to hope he can save it. And it's a lot harder to do when, you know, there's just multiple mistakes regularly on each possession, if that makes sense. Yeah, you need like a nine foot guy like Victor Webanyama to like protect the rim. That'd be that'd be good. That'd be helpful. Yeah, exactly. But but Jakob's understanding of how to use his length and angles and space and timing are, are I think they're really good. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I I think Raptors fans got a chance to see him early on in his uh, development, and and all indications are that the uh, development has continued in San Antonio. Um, are you surprised in the return? So I, I mentioned the Celtics were in on the bidding as well. Apparently wouldn't go as far as giving up a first-round pick. And for a Raptors team that that is currently in a play-in position, but for majority of the season has not been and looked like they were in tank mode to give up a, a, a first-round pick next season that is only top six protected, seems like a big return. What, what did you think of the return that the Spurs got? Um, Again, you know, I I think there's two parts to this. One, yes, the Spurs got future draft equity. And the Spurs are, you know, they're they're building towards the future, so that's important. But I think the other part, and and the Spurs are are known for doing this, and it's one of the things that makes them such a respected organization is I think they they did right by Jakob by – 
putting him in a situation that's good for him personally, you know, having played in Toronto, familiar with the city and the organization, the fans, a place that he will be happy being traded to personally and professionally, you know, yeah, the team win loss wise isn't where people want it to be. But I don't think anyone can deny the talent on the roster. And maybe this is an opportunity to add a piece that might help them turn the corner. I don't know what the end result will be because for the first time in a long time, the Eastern Conference is really good and really deep. So, um, you know, it, it's it's not like, you know, you didn't add – Kevin Durant or LeBron James or someone like that. Um, But it it just feels like the Raptors are close, you know, like, like, like something's missing. Maybe, maybe this, maybe a guy like Jakob is, is one of those things is, is it is like the, the skeleton key that might be able to help unlock this team. I don't know, but uh, you know, so from the Spurs standpoint, I think they want to do right by Jakob, too. It wasn't just all about the picks. Matt, that skeleton key point is a great one, and that certainly could be the case tactically at both ends of the floor, as you just helped us lay out. Um, And I wonder, too, if you think that you know, that skeleton key element or, or just that, that change in energy in the room where this is a guy who Masai Ujiri called him one of our own, Today, He's a guy that was drafted by and developed by this franchise. He's a guy who is is still extremely good friends with Pascal Siakam. And I've seen Raptors fans today, you know, tweeting some highlight mixes from when they played together. And even before they were the players they are now had this nice on-court chemistry Um, for a team that's gone through it this year with some unexpected downs or, or tougher downs than maybe we anticipated like the Raptors. How much could something like that help just kind of break any built up tension in the room, getting a friend back, getting a guy back who, yeah, he'll help you maybe win a few more games, but also just changes the energy in that room. It's it's important. Um, you know, that's one, that's one thing not to make everything about the Spurs, but that's <laughs> who I'm currently working for. You look at the Spurs record, you know, second worst in the league, but the energy in the locker room and on the court is, is unreal. Like everybody's, uh, working to, they play together. They play hard every night, even though they keep losing. The the efforts there for 48 minutes, like you can't, you have to show up. You have to put forth a good effort. You can't sleepwalk through the fourth quarter because you built a lead against that team, or, or they'll come, they'll sneak up on you. Um, in, in the locker room, everybody's supporting, supportive of each other. If someone's in the rotation, out of the rotation, next man up, everybody's got each other's backs. Like that chemistry defines the experience. And I realize it's a little easier and obviously different when you have no expectations and you're losing versus the Raptors, who I think had pretty, pretty high hopes for the season and it hasn't come to fruition. So maybe they're, they're put to your point. They're, 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 they're putting pressure on themselves and getting down uh, the media, the, the fans, everybody's frustrated. I'm sure. And Jakob's a guy who comes in with a, you know, great temperament, goofy personality, great sense of humor, um, and then provides a role that that has clearly been missing for this team this year, 
when you look at the X's and O's, especially on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe you got to get the joy back, you know, no matter what. It has to be fun. This is a game. You're getting paid all this money to play a game that everyone else in the world, you know, if you're driving down the street and you got nothing to do and you see a game, you're going to jump out and play in it for fun. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's supposed to be for fun. And, and maybe this is – he's a guy that can get that – get that uh, feeling back to your point. Fingers crossed. Um, Before I let you go, so it'll be four straight seasons for this Spurs team not in the playoffs um, with their Hall of Fame head coach, Greg Popovich, who you played under, obviously. Uh, How do you think um, he's fared under these circumstances, which is like, yeah, it's it's one thing to not make the playoffs. It's another to be very much in the mix to have the worst record in the NBA. He's been the most relaxed I've ever seen him this season. Um, you know, I, I think in his heart and at his core, he loves teaching the game. Um, obviously fundamentals, the X's and O's, the, the court stuff, but also like teaching young minds and shaping young minds into, uh, mature pros and, and what that means to be successful in this league and have a career and win. Um, it, it seems like he's really enjoying that process. And it's not, you know, especially this season with, with the expectations being what they were, it's not results driven. It's process driven. And I think everyone in the organizations embrace that, which helps back to what I was saying earlier Keep the vi- keep it good vibes, you know. Mm. Keep it positive energy throughout this whole thing. Yeah, vibes. We've been talking a lot about the the Raptors' uh, ill-suited vibes this season. Perhaps uh, an improvement is is coming rest of the season. Matt, uh, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for this. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. There's Matt Bonner, two-time NBA champion, former Raptors forward, current Spurs analyst, and not afraid of the vibes and that being a thing that was missing with this Raptors team, besides the fact that, you know, just factually they could use a big man, it would help a whole heck of a lot. And, you know, I think listening to him discuss what I, I guess from a, an analytic numbers perspective would be a slippage defensively for Jakob Pertle in protecting the rim made me think a little bit about our, you know, Gavrikov conversations about... <laughs> Uh, the potential acquisition of a defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs that's on a bad team. Like, I, I, I think there's a, there's a parallel, though, there, that Jakob Pertl plays on a horrible, horrible team. It, it's very difficult to, to be your elite defensive self. I would say that that is certainly true if you're trying to hang something like an individual defensive rating on a player, defensive win shares. Generally, those are not things that we want to use for um, individual defenders, it's just too complicated and too fluid. Some of the same stuff that hockey uh, runs into. We do. We also don't really like defensive field goal percentage, except with bigs, because they do get enough mm. field goal attempts against them at the rim over the course of a season that we can look at that. I am of the mind that um, there is a larger sample here with Pirtle that says he's even if he even if he slides as a shot blocker, 
he is a very good deterrent. And that's just, you know, being big, being fundamentally and positionally sound and keeping guys away from there to begin with. Can't shoot effectively at the rim if you can't get there. And that's honestly, that's been as big a problem for the Raptors as um, protecting the rim when, when teams get there has been because they just can't keep anyone uh, away from it at all. And that, that snowballs, but we're talking about a guy who, uh, in 2019, 2020, and 2020, 2021 was almost the class of the league in terms of rim protection numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 2020, 2021 was a huge deterring factor uh, as well. So I, I'm going to bet on a, a guy who is still only 27 that that'll come back around in, in a different environment and that skill hasn't uh, gone away because a lot of that is like it's not just athleticism and jumping out of the gym like a lot of that is reading the play and um, being smart within the the scheme and stuff like that like Marcus Gasol was still good at that stuff until his last day in the league mm-hmm. so I don't I don't think that's that's gonna go away too soon I just again the the story of the day is not that Jakob Pertl is not a very good player it's just what difference does it make right now? <laughs> we'll see, I guess. The schedule uh, lightens up. It can't be any tougher than the longest road trip in like 20 years. Uh, but they got Utah tomorrow, and then uh, they got Detroit coming to town on Sunday. We'll talk to uh, William Liu of the Raptors show next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.